Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. We are in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, trying to push through, I, I think, one or two more, and we'll be at, at the end of 12, and then only uh, one more chapter left. But Hebrews 12, uh, verses 12 through 17, will be where we're at today. It says this, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many have become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is... Uh, the word of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would draw near to us and work. Uh, may we not just see empty lists or pragmatism or anything like that, but may we see uh, the reality that every word is spoken and uttered by you. It is breathed out by you and for our good and to build us up. So may we see you and what you've done in it. And may we see ourselves clearly. And Holy Spirit, would you speak to us about our life and our race and our walk uh, through this, God? Uh, we pray that you would do uh, your work. I pray that in your name. Amen. So uh, I've got to tell you something that will probably surprise you a little bit. I have, uh, I've never run a marathon. It's, I'll give you a second to process that. I know that's probably a shock. Uh, this taco-formed body screams long-distance capable. Uh, though I look like I have the gait of a gazelle on the Discovery Channel, uh, I run more like an injured donkey. So a marathon is probably not in the cards for me. Don't feel bad if you didn't know that. Like a lot of people could have got that wrong. So it's okay. Uh, though, though a marathon isn't likely for me, I can still connect with, uh, and you can as well, the language that the author uses here in this text. And, and it's really the language of all of, of chapter 12, which is the exact same uh, language that the apostle Paul uses in a lot of his writings in the New Testament about running the race set before us with endurance. Uh, to, to, to keep going, and the aha moment comes in the life of, of a believer when they begin to realize that this faith journey uh, is, is actually hard, and it's a long journey. It's not a sprint. It's not a, a quick, um, uh, guns a-blazing, get-it-done-fast sort of thing. The, the, the walk of faith is a, is a long and gritty and difficult marathon, and as such, it needs to be treated as a marathon and not a sprint. If you try and run a marathon like a sprint, you will die or, or quit. That's a lot of what Paul is trying to tell us. So, so what, does it, what does this kind of mean as we look even closer? The sprint is a short and violent burst of energy that does not last very long. Everything is prioritized through one metric, speed. Uh, not, not endurance, not, not, not a long time, just, just a surge of, of, of power uh, that, that doesn't last long. On the other hand, a, a marathon or a race that requires endurance is a concentrated, measured, uh, distant type of 
activity. Though I've not done a marathon, I have done some long bike races uh, and some pretty long bike trips as well. And what I've learned in them uh, is that if you do not plan well, you will get destroyed and you will not finish. In biking terms, uh, you will you will bonk, which is a, a term that means it's when your body runs out of energy or carbs or, or, or sources to pull from. When you go long enough and, and you bonk, your body will begin to feel like death. You will have no energy anymore. Physically, your body will begin to shut down and mentally your body will, will shut down. You will start slowing down, not just physically, but you will not think right. Everything will get bad and you pretty much will not be able to keep going. So I've, I've learned that if I'm going certain distances or lengths of rides, I need to make some appropriate plans so I don't bonk and, and lose the ability to keep going. If I ride over an hour and 15 minutes, I, I need a, a, a bottle of hydration with some stuff in it and maybe some sort of food. Uh, to eat so I can keep going if it's a hard ride. If I extend that a little bit, if I'm going closer to two hours, well, then I don't need one bottle. I need two bottles, and I still need some sort of energy gel or something else to, to replenish so I, so I have enough energy to keep going. And if I'm going two and a half to three hours or more, I need to plan what, what, what us gravel bike riders call a Casey's trip where you go in and get food and a Coke, and then you keep going. Like You have to literally be able to refuel at some sort of area, and if you don't do that, you will not be able to finish distance and length of ride or run or race dictate the way you go about it so that you can complete it and you do not fail. Along with this as well, when I was younger, I made fun of my dad. Uh, he was into biking when I was pretty uh, young. When, when we moved into Italy, he, he, he rode a ton there. He went before us and we came home. All of a sudden, he's skinny and wearing spandex. Or what's going on here? But I, I made fun of him a lot about the clothes uh, that, that he wore when he, when he rode. But as I've gotten older and I've, and I've rode long-distance rides and races, um, I, I understand a little bit more why a grown man would adorn themselves in spandex in public places and on purpose. And the reason is because regular clothing acts like a wind sail and it, it slows you down. You wouldn't think of it, but it catches the air and it slows you down. Not only does it slow you down, if you wear loose-fitting clothing, the same distance traveled is going to be a lot harder than if you wore the, 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 the quote-unquote cycle clothing. So lo and behold, uh, I now wear spandex in public places. And some of you, I'm, I'm sorry, some of you have seen that. And gone, is that my pastor? What is going on? And, and that has happened. And I, I don't find it awkward. I actually find it funny. Um, but but, but I, I do that now because the energy penalty of not wearing it is, is too high. And I don't have a lot of shame either. So I think it's funny. Uh, but, but again, a, a longer ride or something of endurance takes some sort of planning. And if you don't do it, you're setting yourself up to fail. If you do not plan rightly, you will never be able to finish. No matter how tough you think you are, how much you think you know, you have to plan right. And those issues only kind of scratch the, the surface of endurance type activities. You've got to think of things like sleep and caffeine and liquid intake per hour and salt intake and carb sources and heat acclimation. All of these things, these things are, are, are critical to finishing a task if you want endurance. But here's the thing. Those are only the practical elements. They don't take into consideration the, the mental elements of endurance and difficult things. Even with the best 
preparation and in a solid uh, strategy in a real race or endurance type activity, uh, you will hit a wall maybe multiple times and the wall will be so hard and high and difficult and the pain will be so tough, your body is going to start screaming at you, what are you doing, psychopath? Stop. We could be on a couch. We could, like, we could be at McDonald's. We could be anywhere. Just, just get off the bike or stop running. When you hit the wall, your body just begins to tell you to stop. Why, why are you doing this? These walls are inevitable. And the choice at the point when you hit a mental wall is do I quit? Do I give up? Or I say, no, no, I can't do that. And I, and I keep going, even though it hurts, even though it's hard, even though it's, it, it's difficult. According to the scripture before us, this marathon minor unset, or this marathon runner mindset that, that plans ahead and has a grit and a joy in finishing the race, those are all fitting metaphors for the way that we should view our, uh, our walk of faith. That's how the original audience and us were meant to, to, to view this Christian life. It's really, really hard. And yet, uh, we're meant to strive to finish. We're, we're meant to, to, to go past the grueling walls, to push through even when it hurts to finish the race. And I wonder if that surprises you in light of modern language right now, that the author is using these sports metaphors in a time where things like endurance and perseverance and effort and grit and that kind of push-through ability seem to be called into question and linked to, to legalism and, and duty and old school and, and things like that, the author has no qualms screaming, don't you dare quit, run with endurance, right? No one, yeah, you can hear that, uh, no, no coach whispers, hey, keep running with endurance if you feel like it, buddy. Like, I've never had a coach that did that. It was drier, keep moving. Move those, those legs. Let, let, let's go, keep moving. It's this idea that we have to understand if, if someone coaches you and tells you to push through a wall, they're not negating the grace that is given to you. Human effort and striving and discipline, they're not anti-gospel. But Jesus said himself these hard words that some people really kind of like to ignore. He said, if anyone wants to follow me, count the cost before you do it. Think about this, Savior of the world, I've come so that you would, you, you would know me and repent and find life in me. Okay, I'm in. Have you counted the cost before you've done it, though? Think about what you'll need to, to set down and pick up. Think about the expenses. Think about the, 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 the difficulty. Think about the, the necessity to, to carry your own cross, not one time in a decision, but, but every day of your life if you're going to follow me. Jesus said those words, and those words certainly didn't negate grace because he's going, hey, I'm going to supply everything you need to be saved. You should probably process whether you actually want to be saved, though. Do you want to follow me? Do you, do you want to, to set down some of the other things that you wanted to pick up? Go into this with eyes wide open. Count, count the cost. Much of the West over the past 30 years may need to start realizing, accidentally at times, um, Christianity has been packaged or relayed in a way that many have agreed to it and they didn't really have an idea of what they were agreeing to. They, they didn't understand that it would require sacrifice. They didn't understand that it would be a marathon. They didn't understand that to pick up the free grace of God as a byproduct would, would cause you to lay down some of the things that you really wanted to do before you followed Jesus. So when people hit these pain points in the faith or when they hit what we call the, the, the proverbial wall in the marathon, they'll, they'll start going, well, I never signed up for this. 
I, I never said I was going to do that. Like, you just said Jesus is love, and do you want to go to heaven? I was like, yeah, I'm in. You never said I had to do any of that. And in the height of, of unrealized or maybe unstated expectations, people get really angry, and they leave. You never told me this is what you wanted. I never, ever said I would do that. This has to draw the mind to the parable of the, of the seed and the sower where the, where the gospel seed is, is planted and it looks like it's doing well and it, and it shoots up quick and you're like, oh, oh, oh my goodness, there's faith, this is wonderful, but then the world and, and the cares of the world and the pain of a broken world and the stress and, and, and all the things that we want in, in our world begin to choke out with, with rocks and thorns and thistles, the, the seed and it dies. The author here is saying, don't quit, don't give up, don't stop, don't let the thorns and the weeds and the thistles cause you to, 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 to let your faith in the fruit of the gospel get choked out. I know it hurts. I know it's hard. I've got to do the same thing as you do, but keep moving. This is the entire point of the, of the 12th chapter. Our text today starts with the words, therefore, which are important, right? The, the understanding of the Bible, when it says, therefore, you kind of look back and understand what, what they're talking about. The author has, has revealed already two points that, that kind of mess up people's ability to run their race well with endurance. And the, the first was that we try and run the marathon carrying weight. And the specific weight he's talking about is sin. The, the, the logic is, is clear. Carrying sin is like a marathon runner uh, willingly taking a, a 40-pound dumbbell and saying, I'm, I'm going to do all the miles with this. You may think that you can do it, and even for the first you know, mile or so, you may be able to do it, but if you let the distance pile up, it will absolutely crush you. Do not try and run with weight. Do not try and hold the weight of the sin and think that you're tough enough or smart enough or able to do it. Throw it down. Instead, look at Jesus is, is what it said, and Blake preached that message. And then the, the second thing that messes up a lot of people's race is they, they, they begin to get angry with, with God and, and think that the discipline of the Lord is actually the spite of a of a cruel deity. And they begin to think that God is against them because he hasn't taken everything hard away or they receive a discipline correction when, when they kind of uh, have it coming to, to, to adjust them and they begin to think that you're a capricious father and you don't love me and they don't see that the, the discipline of the, the Lord isn't an uncaring father. It's actually a manifestation of his love. He cares about who you are and who you're becoming and he is preparing your heart for eternity. And so discipline will come in. Those are the, the two things. I won't push those concepts really far because we've done sermons over them, but the, the carrying of sin and the response to, to, to suffering and discipline are major factors that, that mess up a lot of people's race. And then the author transitions into the text today uh, some, some really kind of practical advice, some things to do, and a couple things you absolutely cannot do if you want to finish the race. And we're going to have to see this as uh, coaching and spiritual mentorship. And, and I sat in the office, kind of processed this, talked to Garrett a little bit this morning. Any type of list of do's and don'ts, there's this thing in the modern world, they're like, well, I don't know if I like that. One of the things our hearts will have to just begin to ask ourselves is, hey, are, are you and I coachable? Do we have any room to grow? Is there, is there a possibility that someone could speak some wisdom into to our race that we didn't quite know that would, would be helpful to us? Or, or have we all developed to such a point where like, I don't got, I have this, I don't, I don't need any of your help. When we receive a list like this, it's a, a wise person who's gone before us going, hey, brother, sister, I, I love you. Make sure your eyes are on these things or you will fall. You won't finish. 
Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That's how it starts out. And he presses the metaphor even further of a, of a long-distance race here. If, if you've ever watched a long race or an endurance event or, or the Olympics or, or anything like that, you've probably seen the moment that a person begins to crack. You're like, oh, they're done. Right? You begin to see, and it's in their body language, it's what they do. Uh, when the strain adds up, mentally they start giving up. And what happens is where the, the runner used to kind of pump those arms, now they're doing like this thing, and they're, and they're barely moving the arms anymore. And the, they, they go limp, and then they kind of become like lethargic looking, and then the legs begin to look like jello and kind of weak knees and stuff like that. So what was this strong, strong gait looks like, I, I think that person looks drunk and they may fall over. You're like, I think that they're going to quit. The author says when you hit the wall and start thinking of giving up, at that point where you're thinking of it, he goes, lift those hands up now. Pump them again. Kick those feet. Run. This is, again, when I was in sports, it would be when the coach would, would scream, come on, dryer, you're being lazy. Do you want to run more? Pump it. Let, let, let's go. Why, why would this be? Well, you prepare to quit mentally before you ever quit physically. So he's going, hey, when you're thinking about quitting, re-engage. When the signs are there, when, you, when you're labored and slumped over and in this halfway run, have you ever told a kid or a child or an adult that acts like a child to run when they don't want to? You've seen it. They're like, and, they, and they, they don't really want to go. Because, hey, when you're mentally and emotionally there, straighten up. Keep going. As I've looked at the landscape of my life, when, when you even hear that and think, man, is that harsh or is that mean or... What, what I've seen in my life, even if I don't like it, is there are times when mentally I, I've kind of started giving in and sat in a place that I shouldn't be. I've sat in a place that isn't good for me. I begin to kind of slump over and labor and get into a spot that's difficult. I'm not talking about clinical depression or anything like that. I'm talking about the moments when I was just in a bad spot mentally thinking of, this is hard and I don't know if I want to kind of do this. And I started drooping down and slumping along and I needed someone in tough love to go, come on. Come on, you can do this. Keep pumping. Let, let's, let, do not continue that on. Keep going. I, I needed a shift of, of mental perspective because when you take a bad mental perspective and you walk that out, it just kind of gets worse. I started preparing to quit and stay in a bad place and I needed to, to hear this, hey, hey, get up and move. Hey, hey, keep going. And how do you stand up and straighten up though? Because when you hit a wall and you're tired and it feels difficult and like, this hurts, I don't want to do this. Like, how do you get a, a second win? Because like, that feels like a movie. I don't know if I can do that when I'm in pain. We go back to the words, the words of verse one through three. You look at Jesus again. Right? We, we normally, when we're, when, we're, when we're laboring and mentally we get into this hard spot, we, we're stopping looking at him because we're looking at circumstance or other things way more. And we begin to, to begin to hold on to voices that echo in our ear. You should quit. It would be better. You get a burger. You, you listen to these voices that, that aren't helpful to you, that are whispering things in your ear. Have you noticed certain patterns or rhythms or activities that, that, that you do and they stir in your heart cynicism or angst or fear or, or, or lethargy or anything like that. There's certain things that we do that make that voice that tells us that we should quit louder. When you hit the wall to straighten up, you need to remove. Do not feed the things that tell your heart to quit. Like, I don't know if I like that. Sounds too practical. I, I, I've had to do that a lot. There's certain things that I get involved in or do that are not good for my heart and my soul 
when I'm, when I'm, when I'm labored. Be wise about what spurs you to run fast and what makes you want to quit and feed yourself accordingly, especially when you're in a time that you're kind of downtrodden. The author also adds, if you want to finish the race, you need straight paths. We may know the shortest way to get from point A, from point a to point B is a, is a straight line. If you've ever been in a race or an endurance activity or had to go a long ways and you're tired and weary and things hurt, and when that happens, nobody wants to go further. Nobody's like, hey, can I take a little longer path? Or maybe you want to put some hurdles in there. Maybe that would be fun. Nobody does that. You're looking for the shortest way to get through. Like when I've done hard CrossFit workouts and they're like, run a mile. Like I'm trying to cut every corner and like I don't want to take any extra steps at all. The author's point here, there are times that you don't run well and things feel hard because you're way too comfortable with running a winding, obstacle-filled path. You're wondering, why is it so hard? Why it's so difficult? You're like, you got to have a straight path and you've got a million winds in it. That's why it's hard. You're comfortable with a ton of barriers and rocks and boulders and hurdles in front of you. And you need a straight path again. Blake led us really well in this exact matter a couple weeks ago when we play kind of games in life and we say things like, well, that isn't a sin per se, and, and so it's fine, and, and it won't really, like, I can still do the, the race. The, the logic is there's certain things in life they are like, well, that won't derail me all the way, and it's not a, a big sin or it's not a, a sin, but we're not actually asking, what well, is it a hindrance to my race, though? We're so worried about our freedoms and our, and our liberties and what's okay that we've lost perspective of, of whether certain patterns are helpful to us or not. And the author, like a coach, says, hey, wake up and see if your path is straight or not. Drop the sin or even just the stuff that, that may not be sin that's just not good for you. There are good things in creation that what I've realized my heart can't do and yours can and, and vice versa, I think that is true as well. Be careful about the things that you are, you are just fine with keeping in your path. And then he says a, a couple other things. I don't want to go into the weeds, but two small points that are worth hearing. Notice that he says, make straight paths, like S, multiple. And not, hey, you, make a straight path for yourself. These words would have been probably much more clear for the original audience, the pursuit of path straightening or burial removal is a community project with others and it's not meant to be done alone. The goal isn't one straight path, it's multiple paths, which would, which, which would be multiple people in that. If you're worrying about your path alone, you're setting yourself up to fail. Path straightening is together work, not solo work. Why? Because we get blind spots and we can't see ourselves clearly because God has given us each other as gifts to help us uh, walk in, or in run in endurance next to each other. And the, the second is straight paths allow what was once lame to be put back in joint and heal. There are times when we've run a crooked path for so long and we're so used to it and, and maybe we've ran with a bum knee for so long that we can't even imagine what it would be like to run with a, with a healthy knee that's back in joint correctly or a straight path. And, and what the word is telling you here is if you're overwhelmed and you think, this is just my life forever, 
I'm, I'm just going to have to endure these things. I can never share these things. Like people wouldn't understand if they knew. Like we can get accustomed to, to, to thinking there's no way that I could get healthy again. And the Holy Spirit would, would begin to tell you health is not unachievable. An easier path, a straight path, a, a healthy uh, body isn't too far gone. Put away uh, some of the things that you're afraid of revealing and see Christ heal you. If you're tired and ready to give up and the coach yells, come on, pick it up. If you're in a dark place and you hear a voice say, come on, let's go, get faster, we can automatically begin to, to lash out and think, you know, I can't do it. It's over. Like, don't, don't say that to me. I, I'm done. Things, things can get so dark and so used to them being in an unhealthy spot that we just can't fathom an easier or better run. The author says, if you find yourself in that place, understand that's not true. Uh, now, that generally will mean to, to have what is lame be healed, uh, to, to, to see what seems too far gone get restored, to have what seems impossible get healthy again. There's a lot of laying down of things that, that you've been too used to picking up and hiding in order to do that. There's some confession and repentance necessary, but I worry sometimes where, where we keep things hidden for so long, nobody would understand this. And if they knew that I did this, oh man, He's going, hey, man, even when you think there's, there's no way my race will get better, it, it, it can. Generally, when, when people get into deep sin and patterns of sin, they've been hiding for a long time. This is the mentality. He says, hey, understand what, what, what you think is broken forever can get healthy again. Then he moves into the do's and the don'ts. Advice over what to do to run well, and then shifts into what you absolutely cannot do to run well. He says, to run well, strive for peace with, what, what's the word there? Republicans, Democrats, your neighbors, your friends, everyone. You and I are to strive for peace with not just some people, but everyone. Now, hear me, this does not mean um, hide in all things, but it means be careful. This is echoing Romans 12, 8. As far as is possible for you, do everything you can. As far as it is possible for you, live peaceably with all men. There's going to be some people who make it impossible. But understand that you've done everything that you could to make peace. If we put this in context, the author is saying some of your races are really, really hard. Not because you aren't strong. And not because you don't have the will to keep going. But because you're constantly making trouble instead of making peace. You strive to be right, to be heard, to be in control, to be strong, right? We don't strive for the peace with the others around you. The basic stuff like turn the other cheek and have some wisdom and balance truth and love. You haven't prioritized that. So you're blowing up peace all around you and you don't know why the world's so hard. Strive for peace with, with everyone. Move towards peace. And understand, this is, this is a, a, a verb. You need to, with action, you need to move towards it, even in times when people make it hard for you. When studying this, I, I begin to remember a, a time with a neighbor two houses down. He, he's not there anymore, but this guy, think the old guy from Dennis the, the, the Menace. I can't remember his name. Or the, the get-off-my-lawn type of guy. I, got, I caught this guy yelling at Judah about a dent in his garage. Right? There's a, a dent in there. He's sure that Judah did it, and he's just kind of like giving him the business, letting him have it. And he was convinced that Judah ran into his door somehow, which knowing my child, I was like, hey, there is a possibility he could have done that. And so I asked him, hey, did you see Judah hit your door? No. 
Has Judah hit your door before and I didn't know it? No, he has ran through his grass before, so he did do that. But you, so you, you've never seen my kid hit your door. You didn't watch him hit your door, but there's a dent in your door and he did it. Yeah. Bro, leave my kid alone. I, I don't want to hear that again. And I just, like my, my mindset is, that boy is my boy. He has my blood. He'll do enough dumb things on his own. He doesn't need extra credit. Like, don't pin things on him that he may not have, have done. And, and the man did not appreciate my words. He, he, he did not like it. He, he had issue with what I said. He began yelling at me. And, and in that, he, he yelled, you have an attitude problem. I'm like, whatever, dude. And, I, and so I take Judah to the house and the garage opens. And as I'm in the garage before the threshold of the, the door, I begin to realize, hey, buddy, are you good with this? Because you're going to ruin the relationship forever if you walk in the door. My mind's like, yeah, I'm kind of good with it. He's a jerk. And that was probably not right. At that point, I could move towards peace or keep it the way it was. It was the Holy Spirit, I believe, asking me to do what I did not want to do. I mean, I was right. He was wrong. He has the attitude problem. And, and yet I have the choice. I move towards him with peace or do I let it ride? I don't know how long it took me, but I, but I did walk back to his house. And I go, hey, can we talk? And engage with him again. Hey, you're my neighbor. Like, I don't, I don't want this to be a deal forever. Like, Judas kind of, he's allowed, he gets blamed for a lot of stuff that he didn't do. Like, I'm pretty defensive over him if he hasn't done something. If he has, like, I'll, like, I'll let him have it. But if he hasn't, I'm pretty defensive over it. I don't want things to be this way. And so we ended up talking, shaking his hand and, and dealing with it. In a matter where, where I was quote unquote right, I also could make peace or, or not. See, in our outrage culture, obsessed with hot takes and putting people in, the play, in their place and, and mic drops and that they'll love to destroy and run over and feel powerful by letting people have it, the author just asks, hey, does following suit help your race? Like real practically, does, does, does adopting that way of, of seek and destroy the people in front of you, does that help you run? He reminds us the words of Jesus that we forget, blessed is the peacemaker. To make peace is a verb. You got to go do it even when you don't want to at times. So we aren't worried about the holiness that comes from Jesus as much as we are the feeling of being right that then makes our race a whole lot harder. In verse 15, that seamless shift into the things we must not do happens. And it's, it's a pretty brilliant shift, I think, because uh, some will say, well, I'm a peacemaker already, Right? I don't let people have it. I hate conflict. I run from conflict, like sprint the other the direction. So, so relationally, I'm not your guy who needs to hear the peacemaker thing. To which the author says, don't let the root of bitterness spring up. See, some have the habit of saying too much to break peace, and others have the habit of saying too little to break peace and cause trouble. This is referencing... Everyone, but, but there, there's, a speci- there, there's a specificity uh, of, of us in the church family here, inside the church. Have you ever had a brother or sister ask you, hey, is something wrong? Did I offend you? Did I hurt you? Did I sin against you? Did that bother you? And you look at them with a straight face and go, no, I'm good. Knowing you are not good. You're not good at all. If you'll cover the truth, change the truth, or straight up lie to keep the peace, this is not being a peacemaker. It's sowing seeds of bitterness, and I guarantee they'll sprout. 
It doesn't bring about health. It brings about trouble. You can think, well, this is going to be peaceful because there won't be a blow up now. All you're doing is filing an extension on the blow up. Brings bitterness. The sowing of bitterness also happens, right, when we go to the wrong people about things. If someone hurts you, offends you, sins against you, and you go to everyone else in your MC but, but them to, to ask for advice or, or to have them pray for you instead of go to the actual person. What are you doing? You're sowing seeds of bitterness and you're giving your heart to them so that they may flourish. Walk that path down a little bit of not having the courage to tell people the truth and not going to the, to the right people. And, and what you end up doing is causing war in your heart against the people who are given to you as a gift to help you run an endurance. The person who's supposed to be your co-laborer and your friend, in your heart you begin to not be able to stand them because bitterness is planted there. It begins to make the race feel impossible. We need a culture where we tell the truth in love. And even at a point when someone brings something hard to you, even if it's a grievance that you know that you've done wrong, beginning to understand that, that looking at them and going, hey, thank you. I know that was probably pretty hard for you to say. I know that couldn't be, uh, that, that couldn't be easy for you to point that, that out to me. And that had to be scary to you. And you love me enough to, to say that. Actually thanking people for telling the truth. And the author shifts, peacemaker first, right? Doing everything you can to not sow seeds of bitterness. Then he shifts to another, don't. So sexual immorality and unholiness are massive issues. They are the key things that cause countless people to not finish the race or run well. And this message is not about sexual immorality, okay? I didn't, I didn't plan of like, hey, it's June, let's do that. No, that, that's not what happened. We just kind of ended here. But sexual morality is an area that culture has tried to make cloudy on you and tell you it's not clear. And they throw around a, a bunch of big terms to, to try and make you confused. But, but sexual uh, morality or immorality are actually extremely clear in the Bible. Sexual immorality would be doing things or thinking of doing things of intimate or sexual nature with people who do not belong to you in marriage. It's that simple. Thinking of or doing things with people who do not belong to you. This can be physical acts. This can be images that you behold. And it can even be uh, like the mediums of, of words or other things that, that make your mind engage with, with, with some desire to do something with someone who does not belong to you. And marriage is defined as the covenant that is entered into with what we unfortunately have to specify now, a biological male and biological female. Whole world makes you think that you're crazy for saying that. You're not. The author says, when you embrace any form of sexual immorality that you're not just making the race hard to run, you're pursuing unholiness, which won't be looking to Jesus. It's ignoring him and it's not following him, which is a sign that if you keep doing that, if, if sexual immorality isn't just a, a struggle, but a pattern that you, you kind of pet and, and accept, it's a sign that you have not obtained the grace of God. The message is clear. Do not play with the fire of sexual immorality. It'll burn you. So many people think, no, it's okay. I've got it under control. Don't do it. It will hurt you. It'll destroy things. It'll mess up your race. It's not even going to be a matter of, can I make it to the, to the last mile? It'll disqualify you. Stay out of it. Again, this message isn't all about that, so I don't feel the need to elaborate a ton, but stay away. Be careful. And then also, don't be like Esau, who sold his birthright for some soup. 
this story needs more context to understand, so I'll give you the way too fast, rapid fire, speed past. The story of, of Jacob and Esau is they, they're, they're brothers. Esau was the older brother. Jacob was the younger brother. Esau was the, the, the hunting, gruff, dirty, like hairy guy, it says in the text, right? He's, a, he's an outside guy, sort of thing, hunting. And Jacob is, is a wiser intellectual, more into the arts and a bunch of other things like that. He's a, he's a smart, smart dude. They're just wired different. One day Esau came back from a long hunt, feeling starving from exertion. And I'm not talking like a hunt like some of us do. I drove the truck and walked 100 yards and sat in a tree and came home. I'm tired. No, like he went on a, a journey hunting and he comes back dirty and tired and I'm starving. And Jacob, the wise crafty one, just happened to be cooking when Esau came back in. And Esau smells, oh man, that smells good. Oh, is that, is that that soup I love? Oh yeah, that's the soup you love. Esau says, or Jake, Esau says to Jacob, hey, give me some of that soup. And Jacob, being crafty, and who asked for this? I'll give you some soup, bro. Give me your birthright. Give me the double portion allotted to you. And this is not just asking for a little bit of money from Esau in that moment. To give away your birthright is to give away your, your, your very identity as a human back then. And yet in the moment... Esau, ruled by his desire, by what he felt, by, by this, this need to, to gratify the feeling that's just dead smack in front of him. It's the, it's the can't see the forest through the trees, only looking right there. His desire to have that thing met, ruled by what was right in front of him, did not think about the consequences or the, the repercussions of his actions, and he gave away his birthright for some soup. For a meal, and we hear this like, what an idiot. And we don't see the things right in front of us that we give away so much for. See, not to be too graphic, but Esau traded his identity for something that he would evacuate from his body later. Just let, think about that. He traded what was hugely important to, to, to give him a, a sense of fullness that would be gone in a matter of hours. Like, I don't know how much soup he had. If it was me, like two hours later, I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. You have to feel the weight of what the author's telling us. If you are ruled by what is immediately in front of you and what you feel like you need, understand this is going against everything the world is telling you because they say, oh, trade for the soup, trade for the soup. If you are ruled by the things that are right in front of you that you think you need, you'll never finish the race and you'll never receive the prize. If your life is marked by a, a process of, of the pursuit of, of quick satisfaction, and, and that can be like a million different things. Like for, for Esau, it was literally just food. You're going to miss the mark, and you'll prove to never receive the grace of God. Now, some look at the story, the, the last verses in the, the text, and, and they say, well, Esau, he cried, and he went back to his dad, and like surely it was all restored. Well, he was remorseful. He did shed tears over his actions that day. But the author kind of says that those are tears uh, of, of earthly sorrowish grief and not repentance. This is a warning. Be careful about chasing your immediate desires in immediate things of gratification and thinking because you still cry over it or tell other people that you're cool. I've run into this so many times where people are confused and they think confession is repentance. No, no, no. You, you can't just keep telling me that you're doing this. 
He goes, if you, if you keep just, uh, just crying over it and think that you're okay, you don't understand that you're playing a game that could harden your heart to a point that it'll never soften again. Even in Reformed theology, I'm, I'm comfortable with saying that. There's, there seems to be these things where you are so eager to harden your heart where you just can't come back. Be careful. Be careful about going after these immediate things in front of you all the time and thinking you're good just because you have some emotive response to it. It's not just that you won't finish the, the race, it'll disqualify you. Now this text is meant to be heard like the wisdom of an elderly brother who's run well. Like someone towards the end of their life and you've seen them. They've run well, they've run smart, they've run with endurance. Some hear lists of do's and don'ts and they just get really uncomfortable or they get bothered. What happens in our heart that does that? feels like, well, it's too practical or it's too mechanical to, to go along with, with grace. And that feels forced and, and heavy. And, and the way that I hope that we would hear this is this text is meant to be good shepherding for you and me. And notice I didn't just say you, you and me, for, for us. We are fundamentally sheep in need of a shepherd. We are in need of, of someone to watch out for us because sometimes we're going to do some things and we're going to need cared for and we're, we're going to need help. We need wisdom and the coaching of others to help us finish the race. And that's what this text gives you. I hope that our hearts would be humble enough to, to hear it. The question becomes, will you hear it and let it do its work though? As I thought of the, the list of do's and don'ts, like how do, how do I give application and what do we do? I think the, the, the way that seems the, the most likely uh, to be helpful to us is, is it's likely for, for maybe one or some of you that one of those points just caused a, a little bit of a, ah, in, in, in your heart. Right? Just, just something, when you, when you heard it, you're like, oh man, it just kind of, it, it, maybe it just it struck a chord in there. If it did, would you receive that as coaching to help you run? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the helper, often wants to help identify things, not to destroy you, but to help you. Hey, you're, you're putting obstacles there that don't need to be there. Can I help you with that? And and what I hope is that you would, you would take some of these things and these do's and the don'ts and, and in our time in worship and before we come up to the table and take, would you say, Holy Spirit, would you help me more with these? I, I want to I see Jesus clearly and, and I want to be able to look to him and I want to be able to keep running and I want to get some of these other patterns out that are, that are not helpful. Will you help me? And this is a time you can engage with someone in your missional community as well and say, hey, man, I just... This, this peacemaker thing really stuck out to me. Will you pray with me about that? Like, I don't, I don't, even, know, I don't even know what the Spirit is trying to tell me. Will you, I need to tell you that there's something there, and I'm not, like, can we engage with that? Will you, will you pray with me about that? If you take much away from the text, hear the call to remember that faith is more like a marathon than a sprint, so you have to plan accordingly. There's a whole lot of muscle and, and, and power to, 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 to take off in a sprint, there's a whole lot more on top of that in wisdom required to end a marathon. Just in a real way, there's things that'll help you run fast and light and there are things that'll slow you down, cause you to labor and may derail you. Pursue the things that help you run well. Be brave enough and strong enough to, 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 to cast off even the anxiety of your heart that tells you you need other things that, that don't help you to run well. Because that's what our mind does. The things that, that, that cause us to trip up and not run well, the enemy plays with your mind and tells you, but you need that. Be wise enough to be willing to, to put down some of the things that even that you worry about. The hope for us is that we will run well. 
and pursue the finish and leave behind what hinders us. Why? Because at the end of the race, when you've gone through all of the pain and when we cross the finish line, the same Savior who is with us the entire time will look at us face to face and say, well done. You finished. Dude, I bet that hurt. You finished though. It's done. It, it, it's, it's done. And, and the prize, as Paul says, will far eclipse the pain. It's going to hurt to finish. And there will not be a drop of you that's sad that you, fin- that you finished. The charges keep running well. The same power that, that rose Christ from the dead is with you to help you push forward in even the moments when you hit the walls and even the moments that you think that you cannot continue. Band, you guys can come back up. In light of keeping with the gospel in view of Jesus and all of this, you would not be able to run a race without Christ. You, you do not put enough to-dos and, and don'ts in, in front of you to be able to do this uh, alone. In the beauty of, of each week when we gather is we go to the table to remember that. It is still Christ who's done everything that you need, who's supplied all that you need so that you are able to finish. So as you kind of wrestle with some of these things and, and worship, maybe you feel beat up or, or, or your race has been hard or you're tired or you're not sure that you really want to kind of continue right now. When you come to the table, it's a means of grace. Your body and blood was broken for me. You supplied all that I need and I'm safe in your arms and can help you kind of keep going again. My, my hope is that you'd come to the table and find encouragement and find strength. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, we wanna come to the table remembering it is only the work of Christ that saves We are safe in the arms of our Savior, but we also need to have eyes wide open as we walk. Father, help me see the work that you've done. Holy Spirit, help me to run well. Help me to to labor well. I want to reach the prize. I want to run with endurance. I want to run with endurance with my brothers and sisters. And and you get to take from the table and go, and you've supplied everything I need to, to do that. Pray that your heart would be encouraged, that the Lord still wants to help you run well and that you would let the Holy Spirit speak to you if there's anything in your path that is hurting your run. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, I pray that you would draw near to us. We ask for your help to be able to run well. Would you make us wise? Would you open our eyes to the things that help us to run well and the things that hinder us? Lord, for the beaten down and the, down, the downtrodden, the ones that have walls and they're, and, and they're thinking of quitting, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. Lord, would you be the one who strengthens their legs? Show them a fresh picture of grace and mercy and your kindness, Lord. Lord, I pray that you encourage hearts. I pray that you speak to hearts and draw us near to you. Lord, and if you've already helped some of us run well, I pray that you would stir encouragement and thankfulness. What a good father who supplied everything we need. There's nothing that you ask that you do not also supply. I pray that we would be overwhelmed with gratitude in that. And then thankful that you still pursue our hearts, that you want to teach us and mold us and help us finish, God. I pray that you're glorified in our time here. 
that you're made much of, Lord. And we see the beauty of everything that you've done, Lord. Be glorified. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.